Welcome back to our fourth Oscar Rewind podcast. Well, it's not the fourth podcast, but it's the fourth year that we're going to be discussing Oscar-nominated films for Best Picture as we break all the films down for each Oscar year and really decide what truly are the best pictures of each year. So we discussed the 2010, the 1945, and the 1990s. And that's just off the top of my head. Soon I'll forget what years we're doing. It's too many to remember. But for now, we're moving on to the fourth year here for the 1969 Oscars. And to help you break- you to orgasm there? <laughs> Whoa, who is this inappropriate person with us? <laughs> the most inappropriate person in the room, Andrea Tennis. How are you doing today? I am good, but seriously, it sounds like you're trying to be like, I don't know, swanky or like moany or not sure. But yeah, it, okay. <laughs> I don't know what swanky is, but I was definitely going for that. All right, sweet. Swank. <laughs> No. Did you make up a word? <laughs> swanky is a word. Swanky is not. Define swanky. That's swanky. That's a definition? I've never heard of that definition in my life. Swanky's like... Now you're changing the word. You said swanky, now it's swanky. <laughs> swanky is like... I don't know, like, that's cool. That's hip. That's Boy. swanky? <laughs> Is, is this the next vernacular that the kids use on the streets these days? People used to say cool and hip. And now all the 10 year olds out on the playground are going, that's swanky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fitting. I really like that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Andrew hangs out with all the 10 year olds in the playground. <laughs> yeah. But not in the sandbox. Okay, I don't know if that's another term you 10 year olds use, the sandbox. You don't want to hang out there, but all right, I'll take your word for it. So Andrea, has your week been swanky? What's new with you? It has been swanky. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, not a lot is new. I've got a lot of time off work and it's driving me crazy. People love being off work, but not me. I like going to work every day. I like Andrew going to work every day too. You would, you would. Uh, I did start a new exercise program today. We'll see if I uh, stick with it. It is a 100-day program. I've only ever completed 21 days. And I guess I was, today I was like, fuck, I guess I'll try to do 100 days. Let's see if I can do this or not. Probably not, but we'll see. So that's like the opposite of swanky, right? It's unswanky? It's sandbox. <laughs> sandbox is not something bad. I okay, sorry. didn't want to play in the sandbox because like you can dig stuff up in the sandbox. Whoa. <laughs> that's, that's where Andrew hides all their bodies. Whoa, I was not even going for that. I was thinking like cat poop. <laughs> Alright. So that's good to know, Andrea. Life has been pretty good on my end. It's, it's, it's been pretty swanky. I don't really know what that word is, but uh, I guess it applies here. It's been a good few weeks. The Oscar race has finally been kicking off in real time for the 2020 Oscars. But, you know, for... And, and as a podcast that likes to discuss Oscar films, I just like to 
see what the Oscar race is pushing for in modern time, but let's go way back, Andrea, to 1969, when we have five Best Picture nominations here. We just watched two of them, and both of them are pretty similar in regards to style and filmmaking with The Lion in Winter and Romeo and Juliet. Both seem to be very much timepieces and very storybook-esque. Obviously, Romeo and Juliet is a Shakespearean play translated to film. It's one of like 30 films that we've seen for Romeo and Juliet. They have tons of iterations. This is one of many. And there's also The Lion in Winter, which is more of an original story, I believe. Well, it is adapted, so it's probably based off of another book as well. Uh, also very similar to... It's also very swanky. Romeo, yeah, very swanky reading. And really quick, it says stylish, luxurious, and extensive is swanky. Well, that's not what you, you said cool. I wasn't sure on the definition, okay? Okay, so we just... So. All right, well... My life was not luxurious this week, so it would See? not be swanky. Swanky. He said it too. Wow, that's very cool how Google has an ability to play the words. That's crazy. It's the swankiest. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not luxurious. See, you're using it so wrong. <laughs> There's nothing luxurious about Google. Well, there could be. Yeah, maybe in 1969 where these films came out, maybe it'd be luxurious to have a site like Google, but in modern times, it's not very swanky. I'm sorry. Well, shit. Yeah, but Andrea, we just watched two films here, The Lion in Winter and Romeo and Juliet. We're already almost halfway done, baby, for the 1969 films. What are your thoughts on these two? Well... They were good. I'm not going to like downplay either of them. They were definitely good for their time. But would I uh, go for a rewatch on either of these bad boys? No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. If I'm going to watch Romeo and Juliet, I'm going to watch the Leonardo DiCaprio and Clary Dane's Romeo and Juliet. Much better, in my opinion. Wow, what a burn. But it probably isn't that much better because it's been a long time since I've even watched it. I just remember it had Leo in it and he was the hottest and the swankiest. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think out of these two, I did like the the lion and, sorry, the lion and winner better than uh, the Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, we'll get into them here. We can first discuss the lion and winter since that's the first one we watched of the two. We watched that one uh, almost a week ago now. It's been quite a while. Mm -hmm. So what was your thoughts on The Lion in Winter? For those that aren't familiar with this film, the way I compare it, and I've been comparing it like this for quite a while, it's basically Game of Thrones, where it's just one family. We don't have time to delve into different families here. It's a quick two-hour movie, so they only really got time to really work into the work to really go into the works of one family and feels very reminiscent of the Lannister family where the mother is very similar to Cersei. She is not married to her brother, but she is married to a big fat oof, no offense, Peter O'Toole, who, <laughs> you know, does seem very similar to Robert Baratheon. He does seem more conniving than Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones, but very similar-esque in his attitude and loud, boisterous, outbursts and then the three children who are all older than the kids in the Lannister household but are all equally conniving or two of them are equally conniving and 
wanting to get the throne after their parents. And then the third brother, he's kind of just chilling. Probably got dropped as a kid. He's a little dumb. <laughs> he definitely got dropped as a kid. Like, not once or twice, but probably like five to ten times. Yeah, so he definitely got dropped quite a bit. And yeah, that's it's pretty much a story of these five members of this family striving for power, wanting to overtake each other. I thought it was a very interesting film. I liked it. Yeah, and then I was just going to say, then on the side you have this like kind of weird love triangle thing where the king is in love with, I don't know if it's one of his servants or who it is, but he's like in love with her and then he still has a wife as well. So that there's a weird side thing going on there too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we definitely have this handmaiden who's getting a lot of love and affection from different members of this family. She kind of plays a role in a little bit of it. But I, to me, the best part of the film, similar to Game of Thrones, is the Cersei Lannister of this film, Catherine Hepburn. I loved her. She's my favorite part of the film. She really carries the whole thing, despite being in it just as much as everyone else. They all kind of have a sharing role here. But I thought she was the most exciting. Maybe it's because she's the only female of this family. It's the father, the three sons, and her. And the fact that this woman has just as much power as the other four and is just as conniving, if not more, I think it's very exciting. So I really liked her. I thought she was very fun. Yeah, I know. If I had to pick a favorite person from this film, I'd probably pick her as well. She was, like, she had, she, like, had a lot of different emotions throughout this film. Like some she was really happy, some she was really sad, some she was greedy, she was backstabbing. She had a lot of different qualities and I don't know. That's why I think I liked her character is because she was very flavorful. Yeah, she was very dynamic. Some of them were loyal to certain parties or had a one track goal to get to a certain destination at the end of the film. She changed on the dime. One second, she wants to get Peter O'Toole, her husband, dead. And then the next minute, she's like drunk with him and telling him that she does truly love him. She's just so all over the place. That's what yeah. makes her fun. She's everywhere. And at the end, she goes to the three sons with daggers and says, kill my husband. Let's do this shit, yo. Come on, sons, let's go. And you know, the dumb one's like, All right, what's this pointy thing? And the other two sons are like, yeah, let's go. We're men. Let's kill our father. I thought it was very fun. I had a good time with it. It, it was a very, like, I think it was supposed to be a little bit comical in a way. Yeah. Just because of just how some of them were. We haven't even given out the biggest shout out of all. We actually meet baby Anthony Hopkins in this. I love that. I was so excited when he saw, whenever I saw he was in this. I was shocked, literally. Yeah, and when you say baby, he's not actually a baby. I don't want people to start overthinking things here. By baby, she means he's younger than 80 because he's like in his 30s here, which is super young for Hopkins. Uh -huh. Yeah, so definitely very young looking, but I would not go as far to say he's a little baby. <laughs> he has a baby face, but like with a beard. <laughs> yeah, he was very good looking. I thought Hopkins was very cute. He wasn't cute. He was handsome. Oh, handsome. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to 
throw shade on you, Hopkins. You're, you're very handsome. Please don't insult him. He's going to win an Oscar this year. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopkins. I thought he was great. I thought all five were great, actually. I had a good time with all the characters. I know Andrea hated the brother who is the bumbling idiot. <laughs> I loved him. He was my favorite. He'd just walk into a room and they'd be like, hey, come over here. Come join us. He's like, oh, okay. Well, what's up? Like, he had no clue what was going on. This dude was just there for the ride. It was pretty much a story of four people vying for power and the third son just walking back and forth with his arms open like, what's going on? He had no clue. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, yeah. And then it was kind of like, who was going to manipulate him this time? Because he always ended up being on one of the brother's sides. He really did gravitate towards the other brother, which I don't know his name, the one that was not Anthony Hopkins. They really hated the Anthony Hopkins. It was basically the two other brothers versus Anthony Hopkins trying to get the throne. Yeah, if we're going to go for the Game of Thrones comparison, Hopkins was the Joffrey of the three children. He was like mm -hmm. the most villainous. And so the other two... Weren't the biggest fan of him at times. I don't know why Hopkins is great, but you know, <sighs> might not be the best family member to have. He did seem like he was willing to cut all of their throats if it, if need be. Like this dude just did not care. Hopkins wanted that throne. It did not matter. So I thought it was very fun. Uh, we can quickly go on to the noms and wins here since we forgot to do that at the beginning, but it <sighs> was obviously nominated for best picture. It was nominated for lead actor it was nominated for costume and directing as well. And it won screenplay, score, and lead actress. So it walked away with three wins here. Wow. I'm, I'm not surprised on most of these nominees. Like, it was good. There's really no downplaying this film, which is why it, it was up for best picture, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think all these noms seem pretty fitting. I think the lead actor, Peter O'Toole, was pretty pretty good. I liked him. I thought he was good. I feel like for a lead actor nom, we'd have to see the other films, but probably not the strongest performance I've seen in a film. An okay nom. I'm okay with it. Costume and directing, I thought were both great. Worthy nominations for both. And then score. I thought it was a pretty good score. I had a good time with it. I thought the score was pretty interesting. And then screenplay and lead actress, which I thought were the two strongest points of the film. I thought the screenplay and the actress were really great and both worthy wins. I thought the screenplay might have been the most exciting part because it it was a two-hour film. It was one of the longer ones, was it not? But it was it so long. felt like, oh, well, I guess for Andrew, it felt like it was super long. They both felt long to me. For me, <laughs> I thought this film felt like it was pretty quick. I thought it was really fast-paced. The positions of power kept changing within the family, the dynamics. People were aligned with each other, and then they were trying to kill each other 10 minutes later, so it was constantly moving. So I thought it was very fun. I had a great time with it. So I, th so I thought the screenplay was overall pretty strong. But the one thing I want to note here, no art direction. Wow. Yep. I'm shocked. Yeah, I thought both of these films would have gotten art direction. And uh, no, Lion and Winter did not. It was very sad. Anything else you want to say about Lion and Winter, Andrea? And what was your favorite scene? What was your favorite moment? Hmm. I, I did like, I like the ending scene, but th this is what I wanted to say really quick. Another thing that was really great about this film is it started in the beginning with the dad and the youngest son basically 
sword fighting. And then it basically ended with uh, them sword fighting at the end as well. I don't think it was the youngest son that tried to sword fight him. I think it was Anthony Hopkins at the end. But, like, I just liked how it started with that and then it ended with that. I thought that was, like, really well put together. Just showing the dad is literally always basically superior to the family. Whoa. I, <laughs> anyway, but I like the very ending scene uh, where the one son tries to duel the dad after the mom has just given them all the daggers and she doesn't want him to kill them. She does want him to kill him. Like she's going back and forth and the dad was like, all right, come on, fight me. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was so <clears throat> good. My very scene is the exact same scene where they're in the dungeon and the mom and the and Catherine Hepburn gives all three sons daggers to kill the father. And the father comes downstairs in the dungeon. And he's like, whoa, what are you four guys doing down here? I was, I was coming down and like get a bottle of wine or something. But holy shit, what, what, what are you four doing? Are those daggers in your hands? What? And he like whips out his little daggers like, let's go. Let, let's go, boys. You guys want to fight me? I'm your dad. I raised you, bitch. And he like starts fighting them. There's this great fight scene. So overall, I thought that, that then, scene as a whole was great. My own, my, I just have a little, little question here. Did the film, which is an Oscar-nominated film, did they not have the budget to afford actual swords? Why, why did they always fight with little daggers? It looked so weird. Like, maybe it's because the room is very closed in. It's a cellar. Maybe the set wasn't big enough for them to have the camera fit two full-grown men for full-grown men fighting with swords. So maybe that was it. The swords just, maybe they didn't have space to fight with those, but it looked so weird to see all four full-grown men with these little daggers. It was like Peter Pan daggers. The little daggers you see, basically a butter knife with like a cool handle. And they're like trying to a little dink each other's little daggers. It looked really weird. I don't know why. Um, my assumption is the budget wasn't the issue. It was the area, the spacing. I just don't think they had enough space to fit long swords and have a long fight. But it did look very weird. Even though the scene was great. It did look a little weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird that the mom came to them with like tiny little daggers like kill your father with this when he has this huge sword that he gets to fight with. I didn't understand that either. Well, his was pretty short too. It was, it was pretty much a dagger as well. Oh, I thought he actually had a sword. Maybe his was a sword. But in all the sons had daggers, which was weird. Yeah. I don't know. But overall, yeah, I think that was my favorite. Trying to think of a weak moment. I think the first half was a little slow because they had to kind of introduce us to all five characters and their goals for the film. So it was a little slow. Maybe they could have had a few more dagger scenes of them fighting or something exciting. Um, and also, Catherine Hepburn arrives on a boat. She arrives very early on, but the first, like, 15 minutes, she's not there. So, you know, what's the fun without her? She was the best part. Yeah, the first 15 minutes was probably the slowest part before she even showed up. I, I'll definitely second that because I was kind of like, okay... These guys are really boring. Like, where's the fun? <laughs> oh, it just showed up from prison on a boat. I love it. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn's like, the fun has arrived, baby. Let's kill some husbands. She was ready to go. Yeah, and she was ready to get that Oscar win. Look at that. I'm glad she won. Well-deserved. That is well-deserved. I didn't realize she actually won an Oscar for this. Yeah, 
I liked it. I yeah. love it, actually. Yeah, I thought it was a great performance. I was happy to see that she won for this. I, I, best part of the film, for sure. All right. So, Andrew, did you want to move on to Romeo and Juliet? Let's go. I have a lot more to say about this one, and I think that's because we just watched it recently. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. But for Romeo and Juliet, we can quickly go on to the noms and wins here. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Directing. And it won for cinematography and costume. Wow. And that's it, just four noms. Hmm. And so it won costumes, which is great. I thought the costumes were actually pretty solid. I like the costumes in Romeo and Juliet more than the Lion in Winter for me. I actually prefer the Lion in Winter to be honest, but Whoa. Uh, Romeo and Juliet's fine. It's a good win. I'm not gonna hate on it, but Lion in Winter should have won. Uh, and the cinematography was okay. I might hate on that. I thought it was okay. It was kind of weak, yeah. I yeah. agree with you. I wouldn't I... necessarily call it weak. It, it'd be an okay nomination, questionable win. But we'll have to see the other nominations that are competing with it. There's two other films of the last three that we have left to watch that also have cinematography nominations. So we'll see, we'll see. But another note that I want to make here, art direction. Not in this one either. Art direction isn't in either of these. Why? Not only would this film have, would have been worthy enough for the nomination, I think it would have been worthy enough to win. I thought the art direction in Romeo and Juliet were amazing. So I think Lion and Winter should have gotten the nom. Romeo and Juliet should have gotten the win. But uh, they got neither. So what do I know? Maybe this year has fantastic art direction. We just haven't seen it yet. I don't know. Doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. I am kind of interested to know what actually got that. Because, yeah, both of these films were very, like, artsy-based to me. Yeah. The only film that gets a nomination for Art Direction from these five is the inevitable Best Picture winner, Oliver, and it wins it. Which is probably... I would say that, that probably sounds about right. Like, even though we haven't seen it, Oliver is always, like, I mean, growing up, I was in a play for Oliver, so... I like the art direction for it. <laughs> yes, that's right. We're, we're, is that what you did in the play? Were you the one that set up the art direction? <laughs> Are you just flexing? Andrew's like, obviously the art direction should have won Best Picture because I did it in my high school play way back in 1968. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> um, no, no. I, and I was an orphan. So, no. You're so Are you talking funny. about in real life or at Oliver? Oh, I was talking about in real life, but yeah. You just said in real life you're an orphan. No, I'm in like... <laughs> this is documented. I'm going to send this to your mother. Oh, God. I'm going to let her know that you she never raised you. Yeah, God, no, please don't do that. All right, well, let's stray away from the orphan. And by the orphan, I mean Andrea, not Oliver. <laughs> but we can talk about Romeo and Juliet. Neither of them are orphans. They both have parents. This is very exciting. Whoa. And for those that haven't seen any of the iterations, any of the 30 iterations out there, I'm sure, or if they never read the play in high school, which would be baffling because I think every school does that. Did your school have you read Romeo and Juliet? Thumbs up. Yep. Did your school also have you read Hamlet and Macbeth or just Romeo yes. and Juliet? You read all three? Yeah. Which one's your favorite of the three? I don't remember. 
Unbelievable. Do you probably even pay attention? Ha- probably Hamlet. Probably Hamlet? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's between Hamlet and Macbeth. I actually really like both. Romeo and Juliet was quite a snoozer in high school, but I think I preferred Macbeth. Yeah, I preferred Macbeth, but Hamlet's Real pretty snoozer, solid too. Huh? But anyways, back to Romeo and Juliet, uh, the worst of the Shakespeare plays, in my opinion. And for those that don't know, it's about Montague and Capet and Capulet. Capulet. Yeah, Capulet and Montague, these two houses that hate each other. Ah, you're the worst. No, you're the worst. They always bicker and fight. And despite all of this arguing, Romeo and Juliet are these star-crossed lovers, these, this young love that blossoms. One is from the... Caplet house and one of them is from the Montague house and they should never be together but they end up falling in love and it's just a story about young love and how uh, young love sucks because you end up dying from it. I mean basically that's what we learned from this. Yeah well the, the very end of the film even though they both die in each other's arms not really but well yeah yeah they die in each other's arms. Yeah. The ending is a nice little message about how you should set aside your differences no matter what history you guys have because your guys' history, these two families, they're so bad that it caused your own loved ones to die. That's their little message they try to throw at the end. But yeah, it's pretty much about young love and its consequences in your life because the two of them, they fall in love. They both have a great future ahead of them. But they sell that aside to be together. They get married, even though they're like 12 years old. And then one of them pretends to die. So the other one kills himself. And then when the other one is no longer pretending to die, they like woke up and they're like, just kidding. Psych! Wasn't actually dead. Oh shit, this guy's dead in front of me. Well, fuck, I'm gonna kill myself now. No point in living. And then boom, that, that's, how it, that's how it goes. That's, <laughs> that's love, baby. Yeah, I I don't know if I would be able to stab myself in the chest like she did. That looked pretty painful. Yeah, that's going to be my next question. Would you kill yourself if you knew I was dead? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't think I could kill myself with like a dagger like she did. I don't think there's any way. I think I would have rather went back to the priest guy and got some more poison and just killed myself that way. I think that would be easier. So you would poison yourself if you knew I was dead? Yeah. Yep, yep. I'm going to poison myself. That's really unhealthy, Andrew. I would not kill myself if you were dead. Wow. I'll tell you what would happen, okay? So, Andrew, th- this is the plan, okay? If, if you die mm-hmm. for some horrible, tragic death, I don't know what it was from, I would live on a happy life, I would marry someone else, and then I would name my first daughter, Andrea, after you. That's a terrible idea. It's an honor of you. Is that not an honor? <laughs> no, the name Andrea is terrible. Don't think your daughter that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well, here. What's the name you've always wanted to have as a child? Um, I don't know. Like, maybe like Lily. Lily. Okay, so if you die and I have to marry someone else, horrible. <laughs> so gross. They, they must be disgusting. But I would still marry them. And then my first... Why did it have to be so disgusting? Are you trying to make me feel better in this scenario or something? You know, it's probably going to be some model. But um, I'm I'm trying to downplay it because you're still alive right now. Are you going to try to kill me later? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, and then my first daughter will be named Lily in honor of you. Sure, sure. Weird, but okay. Well, well, (laughs) less weird than you poisoning yourself, Andrew. You got to... 
change. It's true love, though. True love. That's why they did it. That's why Romeo and Juliet's supposed to, like, teach you. Busted. Yeah, that, that's why <laughs> Romeo and Juliet's not my faith. I prefer Macbeth where they kill each other. Ah. Wow. So we learned from this. I would kill myself for Quentin. Quentin would not kill himself for me. There you go. We Mental got that on tape. note in my head. And we also know that Andrew's an orphan. We're, we're learning a lot. Might be flying back to the U.S. soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to your orphanage? To my mom. Uh, oh! Oh! Exposed. You lied. Wow. Aside from our therapy session we just had together. Which was fucked up weird. <laughs> what was your thoughts on the film? Were you a fan of this one? I know you said you preferred the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. It was okay. It was way too fucking long. Like so long. It lasted forever. Like almost three hours long. <laughs> and I don't think it was I could not handle hours. it. I, I liked a lot of the cast. I really liked Juliet's handmaiden. I thought she was funny. I really just liked her relationship with everyone. She was, I think, supposed to be a little bit of the uh, humor relief. I got a kick out of her. And she was, she was probably my favorite part, actually. <laughs> she was so minor, but she was great. Yeah, no, I really liked her. I thought she was very fun, exactly, for the little bit that she had. Mm -hmm. I thought she was really fun. And despite the fact that Mercutio is supposed to be the comedy relief of the Romeo and Juliet story, I thought Mercutio was kind of annoying. He's always been kind of annoying to me. I never thought he was that funny in the play. And so I definitely thought that she kind of took the reins of the comedy for me. I thought she was very fun. But, but, the all-star here, the funniest character of the film, and the greatest character of the film, was the priest. Was he not hilarious? The guy that got them married, he then ended up being the one that gave Romeo the poison, and was the one that gave Juliet this grand idea to pretend to be dead. He was hilarious. I thought when he was trying to break them off from kissing each other, he was a little odd. But man, this dude thought he had the 200 IQ play where he was like, okay, so Juliet, here's the plan, all right? I'm gonna have you pretend to die. And then she pretends to kill herself. He like walks off thinking he's like so great. They're bringing Juliet to the crypt where she's gonna lay there to die. And he is watching them carry her to the crypt and he is just giggling. He's just like chuckling, have a little grin. And he looks around and quickly realizes, oh crap, I'm supposed to pretend she's dead. So he quickly like acts all serious. Oh my gosh, this is so sad, she's dead. <laughs> she's not actually dying. And he's just all full of goofing around. I thought he was hilarious. I thought he was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I liked him as well. I think I still like The Handmaiden better. But he was funny. He was good. But, like, he fucked up royally. Like, oh, yeah. You think he would have just stood by the tomb the whole night. And then whenever Romeo came, he would have been like, oh, hey, here's the plan. But that's not what happened at all. And then the one where I don't remember from reading it or anything is the fact that he actually goes down in the cellar whenever Juliet's about to wake up. I did not remember that. Or, and then, like, he stays in there, and when she wakes up, but then she sees Romeo's dead, and she freaks out. And he, he's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here before someone realizes that, like, I'm involved with this. So yeah. he just leaves him down there, 
That's all he does. Yeah, this priest really just time after time screws up, which really adds to the humor for me. He's at the crypt when they put her there, and then he leaves probably to go get like some McDonald's because the boy's been hungry for a bit. Leaves for a little bit, comes back, and he's like, wait a second. Those horses weren't there when I left to get some McD's. You squire, what are these horses doing here? And he's like, oh, well, Romeo came down to go see if she's actually dead. And the priest's like, oh no, cause she's not dead. What have I done? He runs down there, sees that Romeo is dead. He's like, damn it, I shouldn't have left. I screwed up. Okay, okay, Juliet's about to wake up. I'm gonna distract her, take her out, and then it'll all be solved. At least Juliet will still be alive. Juliet wakes up and he's like, all right, now Juliet, do not look over there. Just, just don't, just let's go. Do not look over there. Juliet's like, look over where, what's that? <gasps> It's Romeo! Romeo's dead! The priest's like, damn it! I told you not to look there! Fuck! He just books it. He, he does not wait. Yeah, he does not try and stop her. He's just like, nope. I screwed up three too many times. I am done. <laughs> this was not a good plan. Goodbye, Juliet. And he just leaves her there to kill herself. So, yeah, he really screwed up multiple times in this movie. Well, I think that's what makes it funny. I thought that too was just a bumbling idiot. Here's the question, Andrea. The priest from Romeo and Juliet versus the idiot brother from Lion in Winter. Who do you think is the dumbest? The idiot brother from Lion in Winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no yeah. you're right. Like, that's obvious. Like, this priest guy, he's not exactly stupid in this. He just makes some really bad decisions. Like, I don't know why he thought it was, it was a great idea for Juliet to pretend like she was dead to begin with, because... I think she still could have escaped somehow. Like, was the whole plan for, like, her to act like she was dead, them to bury her, then she was going to sneak out of the tomb and be with Romeo? Yeah. And they were just going to run away? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why you think he would have guarded the stupid door. So, I mean, he did make some huge mistakes. And I don't blame him for wanting to book it out of there because he was about to get his butt nailed to the ground, too. Whoa. I mean, they probably would have hung him or something, whatever they did back in those days. Probably. Yeah. Which honestly, probably would have done the world a favor. <laughs> How many kids do you think he's going to kill after this? I feel like he's, he's going to keep bringing up all these horrible ideas to people. I don't know. I don't think he meant to kill, get anyone killed. No, 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 like, no. He's, he's a good-hearted guy. I think he's guy. a good guy yeah. still. I mean, heck, he married him when they were like 12. Yeah, he had good intentions. <laughs> uh, You know, just... uh. Sometimes uh, you win some, sometimes you lose some, and he lost two lives. <laughs> All right, Andrea. Anything else you want to say about Romeo and Juliet? Did you have any favorite scenes? Mine was definitely when they were both dying and the priest just being an absolute idiot. I, I had a blast at the end. I thought the end was so much fun. Uh, but what about you? I don't know if I actually had a favorite scene. I just really like the handmaiden. Like she had all these different relationships with people and she was really close with Juliet. And they had a scene where like Juliet was like, tell me, tell me what he said. Ugh, you're being ridiculous. And she's like, just, she's just like joking with her. And it was so much fun. And then like they hugged it out. And then she's like, this is what Romeo said. And then as with, like, the handmaiden and, like, the priest, they had a pretty fun relationship, too, where she'd just go, like, knock on his door or whatever, like, let me in. I don't know. That was that was basically my favorite part. Nothing else really stood out too much. It honestly was just your typical Romeo and Juliet, and I think that's why it makes it so hard for me to be like, oh, 
there was a favorite part. Yeah, it's definitely the problem with this movie is the fact there's 30 different iterations. I keep using that number, but it, it, there's about 30 movies out there about Romeo and Juliet in different ways. And it is just the same story. And it's not crazy enough of a story to warrant so many adaptations. It's just two people falling in love. Like, I think Macbeth would be a fun one. And they probably only have like 10 of those. Like, there's not nearly as many re-adaptations re of that one. Uh, they just love going to the Romeo and Juliet well. And yeah, I am getting a little tired of the same pretty generic story. It's fun. It's got some great lines. It's got some great scenes. I thought the acting was fun. I thought the directing was pretty good. I think it's a good nomination. I actually liked the directing. So I think Romeo and Juliet is a perfectly fine movie. It's just, uh, I agree with you. It's just hard to really love a movie that has been done so many times. But another scene that I really liked that we haven't spoken of yet was when the two of them were really meeting for the first time out on her balcony. She's on the balcony. He's climbing up the tree and they're talking and mm -hmm. kissing and they're so in love. And then she's like, oh, my handmaiden's calling for me. I gotta leave. So he like climbs down the tree and then she's like, oh, wait, 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 Romeo, come back up. We gotta talk about when we're gonna meet again. So he quickly climbs back up this giant tree and they quickly discuss when they're gonna leave. So then he climbs back down the tree and she goes, oh, no, wait, Romeo. I need to give you a kiss. Goodbye. So he coolly runs back up the tree. They kiss, and then he runs back down, and they uh, he and then he leaves the area. And she quickly calls him out again, saying, "Romeo, quickly! I gotta tell you something else." So he runs all the way back, runs back up the tree, and she goes, "I forgot what it is I was gonna say. I was gonna tell you something, but I forgot. I'm, I'm sorry, Romeo. I forgot." He's like, "Oh, no problem. I'm your bitch. It's all good, babe." Runs back down the tree, and she goes, oh, wait, Romeo, I remember, I remember. Come back up, come back up. He runs back up the tree for the fifth time, and she goes, I want to let you know that I love you. Oh, oh, she loves me. They have a quick kiss, and then he leaves again. The dude climbed up the tree five times. Okay. I, I think you're being a little exaggerated there, but... Maybe four. Maybe <sighs> four. Four minimum. Four minimum. I guarantee it. That oh, dude climbed up that tree four or five. It could have been six. A, a lot of times. Just cause Juliet wanted him to. What 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 a guy. That's romance. True. Very, very true. I wouldn't poison myself for you. But I'll tell you right now, Andrew, I I would climb up the tree eight times. Eight times. Oh my god, yeah. that makes me feel so much better. How many times do you want me to climb up the tree? I don't care. <laughs> okay, well alright, well then I guess I won't climb it at all. But there you go. I thought I thought I thought that was a fun scene. And that's something that you don't see in the script, like in the screenplay of Romeo and Juliet. There isn't Romeo climbed up the tree a bunch of times. It's just a fun direction that the director decided to go to really show how much they love each other and how cheesy this is. And I, I thought it was fun. I thought that was a fun scene that you don't see in the other 29 iterations. So there you go. Do you like that scene as much as I did? I thought it was, I thought it was funny. I mean, yeah, I know. The director definitely picked a good scene to just show how much they care about each other, show how much they love each other. So yeah, it was good. How many times would you climb up the tree for me? Zero, because you said you're not going to kill yourself for me. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, no tree climbing, which is fair. Juliet didn't climb any trees. Yeah, I so. was like, I don't even understand why you're asking me that. Well, I was just curious as to how much you loved me. And now we know it's zero tree climbing worth. 
Oh, it was a lot. It was me killing myself at first. And then you were like, I won't kill myself for you. So. I could I, I picture it now. I'm dead and you like lean over my body and you just go, well, maybe you should have poisoned yourself for me and then I would have died. But not anymore, bitch. And you just walk away. I, I can see you uh, remembering this moment right here. Females usually don't forget anything. That's so. true. That's true. Well, Juliet forgot what she's going to tell Romeo. So yeah, climb back the... Climb up the tree again. So sometimes they do. Was a movie. <laughs> was a movie. All right. So anything else you want to say about Romeo and Juliet? Not really. It was just fine overall. Just your typical Romeo and Juliet story. It's been done 30,000 times. All right. Well, both films were nominated for costume. Romeo and Juliet actually won for costume. But what was your thoughts on the two costumes? We both thought they were great, both worthy of noms. I preferred Lion and Winter. You said you preferred Romeo and Juliet, correct? Yep. Yep. I liked Romeo and Juliet a lot better. Like, Lion and Winter was fine, but I don't know. I just thought that Romeo and Juliet were, like, more elegant. There were a lot of tights, and I liked it. Whoa. Gotta see all those. Gotta see Mercutio's bum a few times, right? It wasn't, it was Romeo's butt we saw. Well, we actually saw Romeo's butt, but I meant in the oh, tights. You gotta see oh, a, I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, you gotta see a lot of uh, Mercutio's butt and tights. It's true. Yeah, but I was thinking about this, and I think Lion of Winter had better costumes because I think they're more iconic. I think mostly Hepburn. I think Hepburn's costume was very iconic with the red outfit that she had. It was very similar to Cersei Lannister. It was just this iconic look on her. And I liked it because it seemed very iconic. Like, if you show me a photo of one of the outfits, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Lion in Winter. Mm -hmm. But I will say Romeo and Juliet isn't as really iconic. They're very similar to the normal Romeo and Juliet look or more medieval looks for that period. But I will say Romeo and Juliet has more costumes since it took place in more than one day, unlike Lion mm -hmm. in Winter. They really did change up the costumes. The characters had a lot of different looks to them that fit each style. The masquerade ball where they all had those masks, they all had a different outfit there. So I do agree. I think that's why it won because there's so many costumes and so much effort put into what each scene, the costumes meant. So I agree. Might've actually been the better win. I just, I'm all about Hepburn's outfit. I thought that outfit looked freaking great, but I agree. There was more to it. In Romeo and Juliet. Mm. All right, and on to the directing. Uh, both films were nominated for directing. So, what was your thoughts on those? Did you think they were both well done directing wise? Yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, Romeo and Juliet was really good just because the director did do really good at showing how much Romeo loved Juliet. And then Lion and Winner was good as well. I don't know, just because I liked all the feuding and you really believe they like all hated each other. Yeah, I think the directing was really good in Lion and Winter because there's always a position of power. They kept switching allegiances and it never felt confusing. It felt like it was at a good pace. The movement felt natural. Like it didn't seem so abrupt. Oh, wow. Catherine is now in power. Like that, like she's now running things. That seems a bit far-fetched. Like it always felt natural and progressive. So I think the directing for both were pretty solid. I liked them. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, baby. All right, so that's it for The Lion in Winter and Romeo and Juliet.
Both of us have Letterboxd, where we rate and rank all these films. So, Andrea, what would your score be for The Lion in Winter and Romeo and Juliet? I realize the films in the podcast, they probably come out. Andrea's reviews for these films for the podcast come out like six months later because she just wrote her review for Social Network, which was like... Which... Way it's back in the summer. The only one I've ever actually wrote one for. <laughs> oh, no. I have one for Black Swan that I will eventually release. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. I kind of just forget about them. <laughs> so, they never end up happening. Even though I might have done one for Gaslight just because I do love that movie. I can't remember. But, yeah. You should. It's a good one. So, my score for Lion in Winter would probably be... I'm not sure. I might give it a four. Oh, wow. Because I did like it. Like, it was good for the time period. Like, yeah, some of it was a little boring. Uh, and it was very artsy, which, yeah, like, I cannot believe this didn't get any art direction whatsoever nominees. Uh, but, yeah, no, overall, it was just, like, an old olden days Game of Thrones. Everyone trying to get the crown. And then no one caring who gets hurt in the process. And then are, are you going to say your score? Oh, yeah. So for me, Line of Winter, I have it a 3.5. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I really like I was between a 3.5 and a 4. I just figured I'd give it a 3.5. I think it has its moments, but I do think that some other scenes, I'm just really not as invested. Pretty much whenever Hepburn is on screen, I am stoked. And then whenever she's not, I am snoozing. Not really, but I do think she's really the main draw for me in this entire film. Mm -hmm. And then for Romeo and Juliet, uh, I'm quite a bit lower on it. I just think it's fine. It's just another Romeo and Juliet story. It might be the best Romeo and Juliet story, but like, there's just so many. It kind of really dilutes the pool of excitement for me. So I have it as a three. I, th I think it's good. I think it's, it's fine. Right in the middle for me at a three. I like it. Hmm. What about you, Andrew? What's your thoughts on Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I think, you know, it isn't my favorite Romeo and Juliet. And I did really like the costumes and I did enjoy some of the people in it. But I'd probably end up giving this a three star. That Well, we agree on that one at least. We nailed it. All right, so anything else you want to let people know? You can follow her at Andrea Penguin Emoji, is it now? Yep, that's what it is. There we go. We're changing it up. So anything else you want to say about these two films? We'll come back to them again in the ceremony in a month or so. Nope, I honestly don't have anything else to say. All right. I already told you I feel like my brain kind of forgot half of the stuff anyway. So uh, that's everything on my end. Yep. And until next time, have a fantastic week, guys. Yep. Bye, guys.